Welcome to episode 195 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Bell rings. Time to switch to another classroom. Rush of bodies in the hallway. Bell rings again. Settle down for 42 minutes of classroom learning. If you've been to high school, this will sound familiar. If I had said 90 minutes or three hours, you might have thought about your college days. It's what we've grown accustomed to thinking is the best way to educate young minds. But is it? When we replicate this model in online classrooms, we're missing an opportunity to reimagine education. What we end up with is lots of talking heads in our online programs and very limited, if any, participant engagement. We have to do better. Similarly, conferences have traditionally been over several consecutive days with sometimes dozens of concurrent breakout sessions and long plenaries. If it's your first or second year, you don't really know anyone, and meeting people at these large events can be daunting, which is troubling, since according to the International Association of Exhibitions and Events, 76% of people surveyed said that networking was a top driver for why they chose to attend an event. Is this the best model for sharing content and creating connections? With everything being shifted online for the foreseeable future, should virtual conferences be multiple days in a row jam-packed with content? We are no longer constrained to a specific number of days when we'll all be in person. Let's remind ourselves why we host these gatherings and then reimagine how we could meet participants' needs. Your challenge for this week. Instead of automatically replicating what we've seen in person, take the time to reimagine what's possible. Here's one idea. A major conference can be several months of virtual events, a mix of networking socials, workshops, interviews, and peer-to-peer discussions that culminate with a large-scale virtual or hybrid event. Follow this with a series of peer mastermind sessions to give participants a chance to talk about what they're going to do differently with all this new information. This builds community over time, which means even first-timers have made a few connections before the big event arrives. This also means there can be fewer concurrent sessions and more space in the schedule for networking. I'd love to hear how you'd reimagine conferences. Now, onto this week's interview. As an Olympic and world championship rower, today's guests learned firsthand what makes a championship team versus simply a team of champions. She spent 20 years helping individuals, leaders, and teams resolve difficult conflicts and create strong, thriving relationships that create great results. Over the years, she's worn many hats, including Boeing flight test engineer, a manager at Arthur Anderson, and principal consultant at Patrick Clencioni's The Table Group. In 2002, she co-founded Thrive to share her unique perspective about making relationships matter as much as business results. She did a TEDx talk with her co-founder, Conflict, Use It, Don't Diffuse It. She has given presentations on conflict resolution, communication, teamwork, and creative problem solving at Fortune 100 companies like Johnson & Johnson, Microsoft, and AT&T. She's the author of two books, The Beauty of Conflict, which is for business teams, and The Beauty of Conflict for Couples, and is also co-host of the podcast, The Beauty of Conflict. 
please join me in welcoming Chris Marie Campbell. Hey, I'm thrilled to be here. Chris Marie, thank you so much for joining us from your office in Whitefish, Montana. I am thrilled that you're here. Uh, This is, as you know, a show about building strong networks, and the context here is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership, and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Yeah, I would say for me, leadership is about standing for something and inspiring other people to follow or come along, collaborate even. (laughs) And I think the first time I really realized that I was leading was when I was a rower. And I, I hadn't been an athlete growing up. I was a musician. I played the flute. So when I got to college and I was like, hey, I want to try out for the rowing team, they kind of laughed at me because I'm pretty short. And uh, But as I engaged and uh, progressed, I think it was like my third year, uh, every, every uh, Friday, the coach would put the names in a hat and he'd make up lineups for the different boats and we'd race against each other. So this was kind of to see, you know, how do you, do you make boats go fast no matter who's in your boat? And at that point, I really wanted to be the leader or the stroke of the varsity eight, which was, I was on track to do that. But to prove that when people, when I was in a lineup every Friday, I'd pull the group together and I'd say, you know, I know it doesn't look like we can win because we had a powerhouse senior crew class and they were always scattered about. And I thought it doesn't look like we can win, but if we pull together, if we believe we can win, we can do this. And I tell you, out of 18 races, my boat, the boat that I was in randomly won 15 times. And I thought, this stuff really works. (laughs) I like this. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. You know, I, what, there's so many fun things about this story because right before we, we, uh, turned on the mics, uh, and started recording, you noticed that I have some, um, some running bibs on the wall behind me and you're like, Oh, you're a runner. And I shared that that's really only since last summer and that athletic uh, goals was just not, that's not even like, it wasn't even on my bucket list. None, forget it. Um, (laughs) As I've mentioned to other people, it was my plan to play dead if chased. I mean, it was really not, (laughs) not a thing. So I like this idea that first of all, you, you took uh, this interest to heart and uh, went forward with it, even though it wasn't something you had a lot of interest in Uh, prior to that, you hadn't had a lot of experience in. But I'm curious, I want to dig back a little bit even earlier, Chris Marie. I want to know what, what kind of kid were you? Like, what was, what was, what were you like on the, the playground or in high school? Did you, I don't know, did you like organize people on the playground too, to like, all right, people, here's what we're going to do. Or yeah. were you kind of the quiet kid or did you run for office? Like wh- what kind of kid were you back then? You know, it's kind of interesting because I'm an army brat. So we moved all over. I was I was later in the pack, so we moved around the country. We weren't overseas, but um, I had some interesting things. When I was on an arm, on an army base, it was great. There was like a ready made pack of kids that immediately included you, and it was great. And when uh, when I wasn't, it was a little bit of a struggle. So one year, um, my dad went to Vietnam, and they moved us. They kicked us off the base. At that point, if you're if you're person is overseas. You don't get to stay on the base, which is horrible because the family needs support. So we were in Hawaii and we moved into an all Japanese speaking neighborhood. So like the kids did not want the white Howley. And, and I was going to a Catholic school with, again, I was the only white girl. And so the kids there did not like me. I was so incredibly lonely. So I really, I walked away from that experience thinking I was wrong or bad. So it took me a long time. So I grew up really as a pleaser, like 
what can I do to make you like me? <laughs> so that's, that was my go-to, pleasing and achieving. So I don't think I really found, my mom said, you know, you're always determined to make things happen. So I think that's a natural gift of mine. But I, I didn't really trust my ability to rally people until I got into sports. And, you know, I'd been, you know, we're living together pretty a lot. So I think that's where it, it really, sh- I started to shine. Well, I can imagine how hard it is to pull people together when you not have there's no common language, no common culture or customs, and you really are the outsider. But I, I also imagine it gives you an appreciation for people who feel like they don't fit in. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I have so much empathy. Like, And so often, and I think that's why actually living on an army base, you immediately kind of join in with people. There's not a barrier because we all look different, you know, but we all know, hey, you're alone. So of course you're going to be part of our pack. And I really, um, yeah, developed that ability. Like there's not, I was never in a click. There are no clicks. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like just our pack of people. And that's how I have gone on in my career and my life. Such interesting extremes to have experienced, like living on the army base where it is super inclusive and welcoming and like, you know, new kid shows up and it's like, come on in right mm-hmm. away. Cause like common, the common experience of being the army brat, right? Like of knowing how hard it is. And yet also having moments in your coming, you know, growing up where you're like thrown into the mix into a Japanese speaking neighborhood, (laughs) you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a lot to learn from all of that, but team sports seem to have given you like the, the sort of structure and stability from which to the blossom, but how, okay. You didn't know you wanted to do team sports. Like Mm -hmm. where does, where does that even come from? If you know, if you didn't have that before, what starts you down this path? I mean, listen, I want to repeat the fact that you're an Olympic and world champion rower. Like, this, like <laughs> when I'm digging into this, it's not because like this is your pastime. What, what gets you down this path to begin with? And, and why would you even think you could do this? Yeah, that's kind of funny. You know, in high school, I was in band and orchestra and and even a flute quartet. So I was really competitive in music. But I was in New Jersey and I, my parents were going to retire out to the West Coast. And my brother had, well, anyway, so they said, you have to go to schools on the on the West Coast. So I looked at schools and I got into the University of Washington and I was like, meh. You know, everybody was in my school. I was in Ridgewood, New Jersey, and people were going to Harvard, Yale, Princeton. And they're like, where's where's the University of Washington, like St. Louis? And I'm like, no, it's Seattle. <laughs> but nobody knew it. So there I am. I'm summertime. I'm watching a made-for-TV movie, which we don't even have now. Um, <laughs> I was eating my Doritos. And uh, all of a sudden, it, there was this love story on. And it, uh, it was filmed at the University of Washington. He was a rower. She fell in love with him. They showed him kissing under the cherry blossoms. It was like, oh, and all of a sudden, the university didn't seem so horrible to me. And I was like, this rowing thing seems pretty cool. And I tell you, not a week later, I got a flyer from the University of Washington that said, hey, if you're a rower, if you're, if you're over five foot eight, which I'm not, I'm five foot six, but it said, if you're over five foot eight, come down to the shell house and try out for the rowing team. And I'm like, gosh, did they know I was watching that movie? This is so freaky. But the um, I decided, you know, and, and then first day of school comes, you know, 20,000 people on a campus, blah. And I get to my dorm, it's like four o'clock. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to go. And my roommate's like, hey, didn't you say you were going to do that rowing thing? So I get down there and there's like 100, 110 other women milling about 
And they're all bigger and taller and stronger and talking in these terms I didn't even know anything about. And the head coach comes up to me and she said, so do you want to be a coxswain? And I'm like, what is that? And the person said, that's a tiny person that steers a boat. And I'm like, no, I want to row. She just, you know, if looks could kill, she gave me a look, turned around and walked away. But I was like, I'm going to do it. (laughs) Unbelievable. I I stuck with it. Wow. There's a, there's a lot of perseverance in all of this story, isn't there? I mean, yeah. but I, I have to say the power of a good made-for-TV movie. <laughs> and, you know, if today, if this were happening now, you would have been retargeted all over the web. And everywhere you went, there would be like ads from University of Washington and rowing true. just because That's you watched true. that one movie. <laughs> so, you know, it, it happened to maybe be coincidence that that all happened back then. But um but still very powerful. And, you know, so many lessons uh, I can see, you know, this opening statement I made about, you know, championship team versus a team of champions, right? Like understanding that individual powerful people, sometimes actually when they're together, things kind of fall apart. And, and why is that? And how do you, how do you resolve that? How do you make them stronger together and not like, you know, competing within the team. And that feels like that was your lived experience going through this very competitive sports space. But now you've figured out how to bring it into the rest of us, like into the world that we all occupy, particularly in the world of business. What was that shift like? Like, you know, you, first of all, you ride this amazing wave uh, to the Olympics, which congratulations, that's, that's powerful. Um, but then what next? Like, how did you know that you had a next path uh, like in a career, like how, how do you make a career shift after like Olympian? And then you're like, I guess I need a job now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is funny. You know, one thing about rowing is you, you can't get across the finish line with the rest of the team. And it's so, you know, it's the reason to create a high performing team. It's kind of like the reason those NBA stars, when they'd go to the Olympics, wouldn't actually win because they had all their egos and they were all, what, you know, they weren't willing to kind of sacrifice and be, make the team more important. And, um, interesting thing about the Olympics. So I had, I had won the nationals and world championships and then went to the Olympics and we were expected to medal. I got injured six months before the games. So I was off the water and everybody was racing and getting faster. And I, this was one month, two months. And I went into my PT's office and I was just I was, I guess I had a black cloud over my head and she said, listen, we're doing a lot to fix your body, but you got to fix what's going on inside your head. And she handed me this book. It's really old now called the mental athlete, but it was how to use visualization to kind of keep your body attuned, even though you're injured and can't use it. And I did that. And thank goodness. Cause I was literally suicidal before she talked to me. And so I did that for maybe three weeks. And then I got this invitation to try out for the camp. And so I came back and I was just a mess, but my, my uh, form came back pretty quickly because of the visualization. And I had to climb my way up. I made it into the Olympic gate. Yay. Going to Seoul, Korea. However, when we got there, so we walk in and they're, you know, walk in, we, we show up in Seoul and we're expected to medal. And we finished a disappointing sixth place. We made it to the finals, but we came in last. And I tell you, um, Robbie, walking away from that, I was just heartbroken. I felt so much shame. I was like, I don't want anything to do with the Olympics. 
And so I jumped into my career as a Boeing flight test engineer, trying to be good, went back and got my MBA, working at Arthur Anderson, trying to be good, trying to be perfect, trying to not deal with that Olympic loss. Everybody wanted to talk about the Olympics. And I'm like, no. And it's this idea of failing and how to, how to hold fail. I was so brittle and I kept trying to be a perfectionist in everything I was doing. And it wasn't until I basically kind of had a breakdown when I failed at a project at work at Arthur Anderson, which was like, oh my gosh, that I realized, boy, I need to, I need to get help. And I got a coach. And the first thing really was processing through that Olympic loss because I wanted nothing to do with anything with sports or rowing at that point. And as I processed through that, I realized, wow, here I am making myself so wrong, but I got to the Olympics. I did that. <laughs> and I leveraged this team and, and, and the Olympic team compared to the uh, team before the world championship team, very different. Like in 88, we had factions, we had egos. I was injured. So I didn't speak up. We made a last minute decision to use this experimental boat that then got thrown away. 87, we trusted each other. We, we, we wrestled with things. We had each other's backs, but we dealt with that conflict and, and, and melded as a team. So that's that whole piece. 88 was, I think, kind of a more of a dysfunctional team and we didn't have a connection. And my, I had my own part in that. And 87, we were just, oh, it was so good. It was like butter. You know, you can feel the difference. Everybody knows those different types of teams. And so once I processed through the Olympic loss, I could actually talk about that. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is gold for organizations and, you know, pulling together a bunch of smart, passionate people. You got to get them to wrestle and be interested in each other to focus on a common goal, not just their own careers. Well, one, That's a long answer, but. <laughs> yeah. One of the lessons I'm hearing in this is that when you were finally willing to like look at the, the, the loss and failure moment is when you learn the greatest lessons that you were then able to pass along to others. And so if anyone listening has something that they've been like ignoring in their history and, and, and sort of downplaying, that could be exactly what you need. And, and right now we're in a moment where there's a lot of like reflection going on and everyone's reprioritizing what's important to them. And so sometimes taking that space could be really helpful to folks. So um, thank you for sharing like that, that arc at some point, you met you met Patrick. How, how did that come about? Because he's he's kind of a name in this space, and uh, you ended up being one of his one of his uh, one of his top consultants, right? Like, tell mm-hmm. tell us a little yes. bit. Like, how, how do you meet someone uh, like of that caliber and impress upon him that you know I have what it takes? Is this sort of like your story run rowing? <laughs> like you show up and you're like you you might laugh in my face, but I'm gonna keep sticking around until you say yes to me. That's too funny. Well, what had happened is, and I just, can I just one thing about that failure piece, because I think that what you're saying is so golden that we all have these things that, you know, have happened to us and we can try to put them in the closet or push them away. And they really are the source of our greatest potential and help, you know, juice. And that's often what I help leaders, I coach leaders through are those moments of failures and how to actually make more of them because I, I've certainly lived it over and over again. So I appreciate you noticing that, that, you know, that wrestling and um, how I met Pat is I went and got my MBA at the university of Washington, uh, left Arthur Anderson cause I, uh, I mean, left Boeing cause I wanted to go back full time. And 
then a, a classmate of mine wound up working for the table group, Jeff Gibson, and we had known each other in MBA school. And it was a time, this was early on when Pat was just starting to need more than just himself and Jeff to do kind of the work. He had a whole team of people that supported the whole business, but they were the main consultants. And and I had been president of the business consulting club, had been, a, you know, um, Arthur Anderson and Susan and I, my co-author and partner had started Thrive Inc. And so we were doing team building work and team facilitation, executive coaching. And so he said, Hey, do you, you know, Jeff called me up and said, Hey, do you, we're pulling together a small group. I think there were eight of us, um, consultants to kind of be consulting partners for Pat. Do you want to do that? And we're like, Sure. So we went down. I mean, we had a kind of a meet and greet and we had the chops, but we weren't, he, at one point I remember him saying, so, um, he said, so what do you charge for, you know, a two day offsite? And we said, or, cause we said we're premium pricing. And he said, so what do you charge for a two day offsite? And he goes, oh, you're not, you're not premium pricing. You know, he was like, you've got to like, so he helped us kind of elevate our game in that sense. And that's how we've gotten to so many, you know, we work at Microsoft. We, we worked with him directly for about eight years. And then we just, we wanted to go back to our own brand and the idea of conflict and leadership development. We, so we wanted to expand our own voice and have my own platform, really not, not follow Pat, but be my own version of me. And uh, so that, I think we parted ways and we started in 2004 and, and have been doing our own separate business for 2000, since 2012. I mean, yeah. we, we, yeah. Yeah. So. Well, a couple of things that I, I want to just acknowledge about that is there's some things you did to position yourself to be referable. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's not just that you went to business school. It's that you networked in business school, right? You connected with people, you formed relationships and friendships. And you also were like the running a program or a group on campus. And you start, you and Susan started your own company that were doing this. I mean, so by the time your name kind of got brought up, like you had the credibility um, to make you referable. And I, I know a lot of people don't, like they could be great at their job, but no one will know it. And <laughs> no one would ever think to refer yeah. them. So uh, mm-hmm. kudos to you for having sort of aligned those things. And obviously being, um, you know, we were talking about Dory Clark before we uh, hit hit record on this, but sort of being around the caliber of people like that, um, Pat and Dory, you know, they, they elevate your game simply because they're working so hard at their game. You suddenly realize mm-hmm. like what they do and, and then you can think about how to apply it to your own work. So, um, so clearly you're interested in conflict. I'm curious then when, <laughs> uh, you know, as you're making this shift back to doing your own thing, like what is what does life look like when you're in a partnership that is also a business that is also about conflict? <laughs> does it feel like there's a microscope on you guys to like get it right? Because you know, <laughs> no, you know that's interesting. And one, I grew up not, you know, so I'm a. Uh, Grew up being a professional conflict avoider. Let's just be clear. I grew up with an army colonel dad who was pretty angry. So I did a lot to like diffuse the tension around the dinner table or change the subject or so. And it wasn't until I actually met Susan and we started to work with teams and the power of holding the tension when that, when you just really want to run away, like I'm out of here <laughs> or, you know, say something to, to diffuse it, whatever it is. And I saw that when we worked with teams that that, and I'm putting my fingers together, like that magic moment when people would hang in 
and something new would emerge. It wasn't your way or my way, but, or the other six people's way. It was something new in the energy. And so I learned the value of conflict. And even in my relationship with Susan, you know, the first, when we got involved and cause we're, we're love partners and work partners and we're married. And, but when we first got involved, when we'd get into a fight, I'd be like, Oh, we're over. Oh, I'm out of here. You know, it, it must've happened like 10, 12, I don't know how many, 20 times. And it wasn't until I recognized, wait a minute, this actually feels different. It's safe to disagree. And she's actually really interested in my opinion, even though she's got passion and is upset about whatever there is, there's room for me to exist for my voice to exist. And I had never experienced that. I'd never let myself experience, but it was, there wasn't space growing up for that sort of, uh, and that's really empowering. Like, whoa, I can have my opinion and it can be different than yours. And, and we can hang in for that. And so, um, but the key thing about us, no, it's not, we're not perfect. It's all about, we're willing to be messy. And that's the key that we talk about developing a tolerance for being messy. And so often people want a formula and we have tools and we have things that make it easier, but to get into real creativity and innovation, it is going to be messy or in your relationship it's going to be messy. The only way I have cultivated and I help other people cultivate that tolerance for their own discomfort and realize they, they can hang in and there's magic on the other side. Well, and it's great when you have someone who hangs in there with you, who's as as much motivated and and committed to that idea as you are, um, gives you, gives you a larger, uh, sandbox to play in. Um, so you can test, test things out, but, but that's great. I mean, magical to find uh, someone that you can, um, you know, like have, have a range of relationships with, and, you know, obviously you, you bring different things to the table. Um, I'm curious when you were starting to set up shop together, what was the challenge about that? Is it that, you know, one of you has certain expertise, you do have different opinions, like how, like, how did you, yeah, that's an interesting thing to navigate. (laughs) Yeah. So you have to know Susan. Susan comes from more uh, marriage and family background. She was a workshop leader for 25 years or 20 by the when I met her. And, and so I was dealing, I was working at Arthur Anderson and, and I'd gotten this big, messy, I was, a, I was head of the change management practice. So dealing with large scale change. And I'd gotten this, uh, this partner calls me and says, this is a project you need to do. And it's a sexual harassment lawsuit. Boss got fired because female worker accused him of whatever, sexual harassment. What other people thought is they were having an affair. He broke up with her and she got mad. And that was, that was the scuttlebutt, but she got to stay per the lawsuit and there was a new boss. <laughs> and so the big boss said, Hey, you got to make this team work together. And we're like, I'm like, I was like, I don't know how to do that. And so I had just met Susan. Like I had met her, I don't know, six months before. And I said, I can't do this. You know, you've, can you come? I'll subcontract to you. And so she comes in and this is before we were eating healthy. So we, I pick her up from the float plane. She flew down from British Columbia. And first she's wearing jeans and a big sweater and I'm dressed in my suit. I'm looking all hot, you know, corporate-y. And, uh, but I'm not, I'm not saying, okay, you can't go in there like that. Instead, because I'm a conflict avoider at this point, I say, um, do you need to go change? And she's like, no, I'm fine. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I swallow that. Then we swing by McDonald's and we pick up breakfast and 
this before eating healthy. That's, that's what I was going to say. And so we're sitting there, I'm getting up. I'm, so we get to the conference room, I'm setting it up, putting flip charts, moving the tables. She's sitting there eating her breakfast as a client's coming in. And I'm like, giving her the eagle eyes, like you need to get up and meet the people. This is what I'm but she's just chomping on her breakfast. And, and so I go over and I'm like, really? And I grab the McDonald's bag in one felt swoop, grab the McDonald's bag and throw it in the trash. So you can get a sense of my style. And she just looks at me like, what's up with you? She goes, you know, your cell phone was in that bag. And I'm like, oh God. <laughs> she's like, and she's thinking, you know, I'm letting them meet themselves. You know, they're, they're not interested in meeting me right now. So she just had a whole different view of how to deal with corporate life. But I tell you that first, that first afternoon, so the woman who had done the, the lawsuit kept holding the team hostage and kept saying, well, I can't talk about that because of the lawsuit. Can't talk about that because of the lawsuit. And it really, we couldn't go, this team was pissed at her. And so Susan, this is another difference in styles. At lunchtime, she called, she said, can we talk to you, the woman? And she also said, the boss, come over here. And she said, she said to the woman, listen, you are holding this team hostage. And as long as you do, nothing's going to happen. Oh, and boss, you're letting it happen. And it's not okay. And I'm thinking, oh my God, we're going to get fired. <laughs> but lo and behold, after lunch, the woman was willing, you know, she let us call her on like, this is that they just need to process how they're feeling. You can, if you keep saying that, you're not going to get any, you're not going to build any relationships. So find something to acknowledge, even if you can't reveal what's happening. And it shifted the diet. They vented and they were upset and, but it was moving the energy now. And we got through that. We then got to their strategy, how they're going to make decisions. And it, it was a test run for our business. That's what we do in two day offsites. So, but the origin oh story, the origin story and the, and the <laughs> McDonald's bag and your cell phone being inside of it. And I actually, this is one of those few moments where I wish that there was a video going with this podcast because <laughs> When I was even like asking you, like, what was the challenge? Like the faces you were making at the like, oh my, I have to tell you this story. <laughs> um, I, I mean, how great though, that you were able to then leverage that experience that you both have and obviously your differences of style to helping now a wider range, obviously of clients, because people do come in different, you know, with different needs. Um, over the years, like I, I was looking, you know, like you said, you've got all these different big jobs you've had. You have the Olympic thing and Arthur Anderson and I mean, the <laughs> Boeing, I mean, like, <laughs> you know, do, do anything small. Um, so, so I imagine you have met thousands and thousands of people and more than that, I probably met you. So how do you think about, about your network? I mean, like, of course you've got that sort of like, you know, inner circle of people that you're always going to stay in touch with, but then I always think that there's probably like a second and third sort of layer or tier out the people you see maybe every year at a conference or you worked with five years ago or you went to school with 20 years ago or whatever it is. But the people that you really enjoyed, how do you think about nurturing and sustaining that sort of those outer layers of your professional network? You know, it's kind of interesting because even my rowing uh, community, when I was like, oh, I want to get rid of my Olympic loss, I really disconnected from them. And it wasn't until actually uh, um, much later, like about five years ago that I could reconnected and we had like some sort of reunion or something. And, and, I, and Susan came, my partner, and she's like, these people really respect you. And I was like, 
you know, it just didn't occur to me. And so I've gone back and I've spoken at like the Husky banquet and the women's thing. And I, and I really get that. And it, it was kind of, that was again, like this golden group of people that I was just dismissing, like, okay, you're gone. And no, they're not. <laughs> they still really respect me. And we got inducted into the hall of fame and they were the ones that said, Hey, will you speak for our two boats? And so, you know, it's things like that, that they were on my outer circle, but they're much closer in. So, and I have, you know, it used to be all work, but I have, I'm in community theater. So I have my acting community. I do hip hop dance. And so I've got my hip hop community and my rowing community. And then I do more spiritual type of work. So I've got that group of people. And those are, there's a few of those. And I used to work at a professional development center called the Haven up in British Columbia. And that's a huge community. So there's, there's all these different layers. And sometimes I can go into one and forget that the others are there. (laughs) You know, I get like stuck. And so stepping back and seeing the bigger picture of like, wait a minute, my life impacts and is connected to all these people is really, and Susan usually is the one that, you know, has a zoom out, look at the big picture uh, to help me remember there's a lot more people out there that, you know, want to help, want to stay connected or interested. And that's, it's, you know, it's so easy to go, oh, nobody cares about me. Or like, I can have that as a, because I had it when I was six, you know, in that little, in that experience. So to remember that I am connected is really neat. Yeah, no, it is really neat. And as you start listing out all the different circles in your Venn diagram, of which you are the center, yeah. um, and 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 like what overlaps and what doesn't, and like how really you bring people all together, um, it is really easy to sort of get focused in on whatever's current, whatever you're like focused on right now. But being able to step back and have someone even remind you to step back, you know, particularly now. I mean, we're we're recording this in early April. It's going to come out like in May, but you know, it's just about a month earlier, and. Um, you know, the world's changed. <laughs> like mm-hmm. in the last four weeks, our world has changed dramatically. And I've been making noise about how more than ever connection is is important. And that, you know, yes, we, we can't go to live events right now, but like there's so many other ways to connect. And the intention of, of going to those live events was probably that you were to meet people, but you weren't always so good at following through with those intentions anyway. So maybe we'll just make <laughs> the new intentions around like virtual connections. <laughs> But what a great opportunity to now, like, start thinking about all those different groups and how you want to sort of re-engage with people. And, you know, being the convener, being the host is a gift right now because people are, are like, searching for something other than the four walls of their house <laughs> and their, like, <laughs> so small true. family existence, which felt great for the first three days. And you realize you're not actually, like, on <laughs> summer break and... This is right. like and no end, no end in sight, right? So, have you been thinking ab- about that? And like prior to this moment, have you been a person who you know hosted dinner parties or salons or like met people for drinks when you were traveling? Like, did you ever do s- things at scale, or were you more of like a one to one kind of reconnection person? I have to say, I tend to be more of well, I love um, like speaking to a large group, but when I connect, I usually tend to connect in smaller groups. That's just I think I'm probably an introvert, which is why this isn't painful for me to be stuck in, at home. But uh, we were planning a roundtable for women in technology in Seattle, March 23rd. So that got scrapped. We have been, um, you know, there's been so many ways that I've been reaching out, and then as soon as the the shelter in place came down for here. It was March 16th. Um, We got online and started doing daily Facebook lives just to connect because you're right. I really get, even though I'm an introvert, 
humans are like herd animals. We like to be around each other. And I realized even you, Christopher, you really like to hang out with other people. And so I miss going to the gym, like my workout class three days a week or my dance class or, you know, uh, or going down and being a part of the theater. So I, um, so we also started, we've been hosting a power of eight, which is more of an intentional group, like on Sundays and Wednesdays, they're bigger than eight, but getting people together to kind of, because we've, one of the things that's so hard is it, it's really easy to feel helpless. Like, what do I do? And so um, I do, we do workday LinkedIn videos, which are little tips. And it's all just to be in service and to connect, to feel like I am doing something in this time when it's all our speaking events got canceled, everything. So I do think, Chris Marie, that when we look back on this time, what we're going to remember is who showed up and how people show up. It's going to look really, really different. You know, I was talking to someone about this and she said, well, you know, I can't do all those other things you said, but I spent 45 minutes helping my dad who's 75 get on zoom. <laughs> I know. So yeah. I just, then, then a few days later, I was helping my dad get on zoom and it didn't take 45 <laughs> minutes. It took less than that. And I told him that and he goes, I want that noted. <laughs> so, um, I, but I still think whether it's for showing up in sm those smaller ways, like with one person or, you know, I've done more Facebook lives in the last few weeks than I usually do. I mean, like I, I sort mm -hmm. of forget about them. And then now I'm like, just, let's just do it. And I also started hosting, I guess, almost early March, like as soon as it started to be that things started getting canceled, even before we had like this whole stay at home sort of strictly, I started hosting virtual happy hours. And, oh, neat. I love that. And really just playing with it, playing with the technology and discovering that there are lots of great ways to create an intimate connection online for a group of people. And I, I last week got to MC uh, both the opening and the closing networking reception for a big, a big conference. Um, oh, and it was neat. just so powerful, like, you know, how yeah. people can connect and engage with each other. So I, I just, I'm so glad you're starting to do this, this power of eight and like these, uh, these little tidbits and, you know, the, the live stuff. Cause I think, you know, even if you're not someone who draws energy from being around people, there's still something about being around people. It, it is. No, that's really what I've had to learn is, oh, I really like it. And we, what we do is we have our big group, but then we can use with Zoom, you could do little breakouts. So people get to check in in groups of two or three. So they get to know each other, which these people don't know each other. So it is a networking piece. And we're asking them to invite more people. So it's slowly growing, but you have that little thing. And then we do a little uh, big group piece. So that's I love great. that you're doing that. I want to come to one of your virtual happy hours. I'm awesome. All right. I'll, I'll, I'm going to get, I'm going to listen. I put it out to my whole network, Chris. I'm going to make sure you Excellent. know about it. But I'm it, bringing Susan. It's, yeah. It's been really a fun way. Um, you know, like for me, this is a, this is a pivot. I, um, my background up to this point has really been about uh, networking. Right. And so in the context of, of conferences, my, my, my book is actually about networking at conferences. So that's my thing. <laughs> Well, uh, you're, you're going to have to write a new one. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but the reason is that I think that events are about content and about connections, right? The great content and the possibility of great connections. And, you know, oftentimes the virtual events have all been about content, like most, most things. Like it's just like, you know, a virtual summit traditionally is just like a series of things you can like listen to and you're not interacting with the rest of the audience. And so, I've been really thinking about how do we shift that? And it's everything you're talking about. You know, I use music. You can pipe music through Zoom. I, you know, do uh, the breakout rooms and it's really about facilitation and engagement. And it's, it's, 
I, some of the, some of the feedback I've gotten is that it's actually more intimate and more successful than a live event because at live events, people don't know how to go up and talk to each other. And right. in the virtual space, they're just sent to a, a breakout room <laughs> and <laughs> with a topic. And it's like, okay, I guess we're going to have this conversation now. So um, that is great. It's kind of neat. Like, and I think when we go back to having live events, which we will one day, um, hopefully we will continue to have virtual events that, are, that meet this need as well. Um, so it's, it's kind of cool. So I, would I love l- your pioneering style, Robbie. That's terrific, really, because you, know, you you are the pioneer with the conferences, and so of course you would be thinking about this for yeah, virtually. That's yeah, terrific. you know the, the pivot was naturally like right there. You know, it's like, well, wait, I I care about this stuff, and as much as we've been using Zoom for years, I learned that there was so much more to it. And it was kind of fun mm-hmm. to realize over the last few weeks just how much more we could be doing. So, so all right, this is one of my favorite questions. It's our wrap up questions, Chris Marie. So if we're reconnecting a year from now, and I know that we won't wait a whole year, but let's say it's a year from now, and I'm saying like, you know, uh, let's let's celebrate all of your successes from the previous year. What are we going to be toasting? What are we going to be celebrating? Yeah, I would say actually the release of um, my next book, The Beauty of Conflict Within, dealing with that inner conflict that happens. And also kind of the impact I and Susan have made in helping make emotional resiliency part of the work day, like taking care of yourself so that you have relational health. And really this whole piece, like work has gotten so personal and that's right in our bailiwick of, you know, relationships and how to deal with your own anxiety and stress so that that our, our business has been moved forward because of this situation that we're in. Wow. I, I so needed, I mean, as uh, we've all gone remote, uh, people who never experienced remote work are challenged. I mean, this is a very yeah. challenging moment. And on top of that, having to juggle like the family life and whatever anxiety you have about the the moment of crisis that we're in and how personally it's, it might be impacting you. So I think, you know, having the, the, the emotional health is, is very key. Um, that's super exciting. Of course, you know, you guys have really like landed on a theme here, the beauty of conflict. <laughs> I love. I know. We're consistent across the books. Yeah. Across the the, is there a beauty of conflict cookbook? I mean, <laughs> that's too funny. Maybe I just, Robbie. <laughs> I just want to know. I mean, think about it. For some people, the kitchen is a really fraught place, especially if one person <laughs> likes to drive. So, um, thank you so much. So, how could people Aww. find you and follow your work? Yes. So our website is thriveinc.com. That's www.thriveinc.com. And you can find me at Chris Marie Campbell on LinkedIn to see those videos. There's no H in Chris Marie, all one word, and also on Facebook. And um, yeah, our books are available on Amazon and our uh, podcast is available on iTunes. Yeah, we will have all those links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Thank you so much, Chris Marie. This has been a really fun conversation. Oh, you're delightful. Thanks, Robbie. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Chris Marie. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share it resonate with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 195. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as nearly 200 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. Are you looking for assistance with your virtual event? 
I'm a virtual event design consultant and MC. I know how important it is to provide a great experience to retain your members or motivate your employees. Email me at Robbie at robbysamuels.com and we can schedule a complimentary strategy session to get started. If you enjoyed this episode with Chris Marie, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review in Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page, itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.